It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. Let's get right into it. We've got a number of things that I want to talk about today, Andy Vance. And I am uh, I'm excited to kind of get into the offseason potpourri because I don't, you know, I like when we have like the large, big narrative sometimes, but I also like when we kind of bounce around a little bit and talk about all the weird little, you know, whys and wherefores and comings and goings of college football and college sports in general. So that's kind of fun for me. Um, I don't know. It's, it's the summer, right? So we're easy and breezy and I'm kind of, I'm kind of cool with the, the goofy stuff. I don't know. Are you, are, how are you feeling as we ease into this summer season, Andy? Yeah, it, it finally felt like summer for me. We spent the weekend, uh, at a dog show, the Toledo kennel club hosted mm. up in mommy, Ohio, and it, uh, wasn't quite hotter than the face of the sun, but, uh, your homeboy got some, got some sunshine. Oh, I've got the farmer tan farmer's tan going. Let me, I mean, the previous weekend, it was yeah. like in the thirties at night. So I think, you, I mean, we, so Memorial day, Memorial day weekend, we smoked a brisket. Um, uh, my, my neighbors, um, make me feel very good about my ability to, to smoke, um, extremely high quality beef. Mm-hmm. And so they asked me if, if for our neighborhood get together over Memorial day weekend, we, we did it on Saturday, Memorial day weekend and, and smoked a brisket and, you know, getting up at Oh, dark 30 to, to start the coals a smoking, uh, in this drizzle at like you know, 40 degrees right was, was not, you know, the, the the best start Doesn't make ever you feel like memorial day weekend it was i mean it felt like it, frankly it felt like fall because then that night you know we we finished eating the brisket and i you know i asked the guys like, you want to you want to get the fire pit going and they're like yeah let's do that and so like we're all in you know hoodies and flannel and you know, fleece sitting around the fire pit uh having a having a foamy pop and like that was <laughs> that was pretty great but i'm like god this is may 27th or whatever yeah. it was you know like this is not we should be we, we shouldn't be uh sitting here around the fire pit in our flannels but this weekend very much summer uh yeah. had a great had a great time the week, weather was beautiful just got a touch of rain on the drive back home uh enough we did get to see a get to see a rainbow somewhere there between delaware and and powell okay. uh, along 23 which was kind of cool so yeah not bad it was a nice weekend very good so uh, you know, the summer definitely has its ups and downs, but it's nice to kind of be able to chill and kind of relax. And I want to, one of the things that we always publish on 11 Warriors every year, and I, I don't, I would like to find this more maybe informative or instructive than I think it ends up being, but I do appreciate that it's a public record that we can view. And I find that kind of fun, which is the, uh, the evaluations of the, um, of the uh, football coaches and staff, uh, their performance reviews. And, you know, I, I went through these, I, they get a lot of fours and fives and that's okay. And that's one of those things where it's like, look, your, your evaluation, your real evaluation is going to happen in conversations on a daily basis. We're doing this as a matter of course, because it's required of us and we're not going to get too deep into it. But I will say there are a couple of things that popped out at me. Uh, Marathi, for example, his clear distaste of trying to do what he does uh, during COVID, which for him, for a, for a super A-type, you know, in-your-face kind of human being, I don't know that he probably handled that very well, which is okay. That's I'm glad he's he's able to kind of be back in person. That's good for him. The lowest score that I saw was with uh, Tony Alford, actually, in productivity and recruiting you got a two out of five on that mm-hmm. which i don't i <laughs> i think you could infer a lot of things about ohio state recruiting with regards to that and running backs there there could be some some uh, maybe irritation about a certain recruit that ohio state lost um you know but i just overall i guess it's a little interesting to see this what are your take do you feel like this is an authentic evaluation or performance review of these of these guys you know like Kerry Holmes people wringing their hands about the defense of secondary all that kind of stuff do you do you think you can really glean too much from this or is this I don't know is this this kind of more like of a perfunctory kind of thing that they just do because they have to yeah well yes and yes I mean I think some of these (laughs) I mean I think some of these are really you know there is some introspection right and you like and, and I think you'd see you see the difference from a younger coach, let's say a, like a Parker Fleming versus mm-hmm. uh, a more tenured coach like Greg Studerawa or, or Larry Johnson. And look, look, you know, Larry Johnson, for example, giving himself a five out of five 
in terms of his overall rating as a coach. Yeah, that's legit, right? Like yeah. who's better? going to argue with that. Who is better at his job anywhere in the country than Larry Johnson? I'll give you the answer. It's no one, right? right. He's, he's literally the best in the country at his position. His ability to coach that position is unquestionable. The mm -hmm. production and productivity. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter if we're talking about chase young quality talent or, or guys who were high three stars or whatever, like Larry Johnson gets the best out of them that you can possibly get. He's, he's just, he's incredible. And so then, you know, you see at a younger, um, a younger guy like Parker Fleming, you see more, you know, there, there's more to it than that because ultimately the performance, it's one of the great things about this game. You can ultimately judge performance on the field. Right. And, and, yeah. and so then when you work in recruiting Tony Alford's two of five, there's an example. I think that's a fair assessment, right? We need to get better at recruiting running backs. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously Ohio state's had some pretty great, and highly successful running backs here. So you need to get more of those number one running backs in the country into the program. And, and so that's an obvious, that's an obvious, but, but ultimately even recruiting shows out on the field, right? right? Did you have, did you have the better team? Did you have the, did you have the more talented team? Did you have the better coach team? All right. You, and hopefully the answer is both. And so you could, you know, you could see at times in the last, let's say even just since, since the urban Meyer era, where you would go into a game and usually an urban Meyer game that urban Meyer's teams lost, you'd say, well, they were the more talented team, but they got out coached. Like, you know, the, you, you could look at one of the Clemson losses as an example. Oh, sure, yeah. We just got out coached or, you know, Michigan state, you know, how many times did we say, you know, Mark, Mark, or, Mark, Purdue. Mark <laughs> or Purdue, you know, <laughs> I mean, you just, just got out coached. Yeah. You had the clearly more. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. Purdue, <laughs> Iowa, right. You clearly had the more time, yes. more talented team and you got out coached. So that, you know, whether you're talking about recruiting, whether you're talking about uh, on the field position coding, whether you're talking about play calling, it all ultimately comes out on the field. And, and sometimes I find it interesting to see how do they evaluate themselves after a successful season. And I think by all measures, this was a really successful season. Mm -hmm. The only thing you didn't do was win a national championship. Gosh, well, okay. That's, <laughs> that's a better, that's a better outcome than, you know, almost 200 other teams. Right. So you know, when you look at, you look at it that way, I find it interesting to see how do these look after a great season versus, you know, a, a not great season. You know, there's a lot more introspection when you get your ass handed to you by Purdue, maybe than when you lost to an exceptional Alabama team. Yeah. And, and these, so like these performance reviews are, it, you know, it, it's something because they are aware that this is, for public consumption at a certain point. And of course they're going to become public. And I, I guess if you're going to be involved in Ohio state athletics, you're going to have to kind of understand that any kind of communication or review or anything that you do can be FOIA. And then you're just like, you know, <laughs> it's going to be public record. You have to, to be willing that other people are going to be able to see that. Um, so it's not going to get super in depth. You're not going to see a whole lot. I did really like seeing the letter that Gene Smith wrote uh, to Ryan Day and just kind of, you know, gassing him up and talking about his 2019-2020 performance review and how, you know, well he did and how great the GPA and the team is and the culture that he's fostered and whatnot. Uh, you know that Gene Smith is being super serious when he signs it, Eugene D. Smith, as opposed to just Gene Smith. So that was really good. Very official. And I just I just like reading them. It, it, it kind of brings you a little bit closer to the program, even if ultimately it doesn't mean a ton. I just kind of like reading and I like getting into that kind of stuff. I like seeing those types of records. That's, that's really interesting to me. Um, so that's cool. I, I do think it is interesting, speaking of, you know, the FOIA, the I, I did think it's interesting how long it takes these things to work oh, through God. the systems. You know, these are, we the talked about that last week. It took almost yeah. a year yeah. for the, the documents that, you know, that Colin got Colin Dan got for that to process. I mean, that was forever for yeah. the COVID stuff to come out. Yeah. This is a 2019, 20 performance reviews. And that's, and I should have made that clear when I was talking about earlier, you know, seeing how these, seeing how these come after a national championship year versus, you know, a down year or something along mm -hmm. those lines is this is the 2019, 20 performance review. So you know, the guys requested this, uh, last summer. So, yeah. so, you know, it takes, it takes a year for these things. So I won't go off on a tangent about transparency and sunshine laws and so on. I would just say, you know, something, something I find very interesting. And I think institutions like Ohio state, and I have nothing but love for my alma mater, but institutions like Ohio state, uh, and they are not in any way, shape or form alone in this, 
uh, probably do everything they can do to follow the letter of the law and no more (laughs) well and i've written articles about that actually sunshine laws especially in in the case of like tennessee when tennessee was going through a lot of like investigations and you know accusations of misconduct both in terms of player misconduct and coaching misconduct and it's interesting to me because sometimes people are like well we don't want to know you know what I mean? Like there, there are fans who occasionally like, you know what? I'm glad we don't know any of this stuff because that mm-hmm. means nobody else knows this stuff. And I'm like, I don't, to me, I, I get, I get and understand as a fan of Ohio state who saw the Jim Trestle stuff and then saw all the different random crap through the early two thousands and whatever. I understand the impulse to go, I want less of the bad stuff to come out, even if that means less of everything else to come out too. But that's, that's not what you want. The best stories in sports in general come when some outside observer, people who don't necessarily have like an official stake or skin in the game can actually like investigate or ask questions that might be uncomfortable like that has to happen because if it doesn't happen then the quality of what you're learning about you know your favorite teams and athletes and sports it's much much more curated and less authentic and it i i think it ultimately like hurts the sport because it makes people less accountable like i i don't want a world in which you know a guy like joe paterno would be completely unchallenged for his entire career. And that still basically happened. You know what I mean? Like there has to be a more critical understanding of the sports and the athletes and the teams that we follow. Um, because otherwise it's, it's basically, you're just letting them tell you whatever they want. And I just, I don't think that's the best way to go about it because there needs to be accountability. And again, do these performance reviews indicate accountability? No, <laughs> cause it's, it's, it's very service level stuff, but it, it, it is still things that I think we deserve to see and to review and to understand. Cause that's, you know, it, like I said, it, it's part about um, making sure that we can hold people accountable or at least, you know, understand what they're thinking, what the team is thinking, what the administrators are thinking. Yeah, so it's also good to see. To it. Yeah. It's good to see those, like what are the metrics beyond the obvious when yeah. conference and national titles, like we all know that, but, you know, mentioning the, the, the earning of degrees, mentioning, you know, NFL draft picks, mentioning right. grade point average. Those are all, it, it's good to know what else is important in the program. And, and, you know, and if not they nothing, say that's important, then we should be able to hold them accountable for yeah. that being important. So if they're saying, look, we're getting evaluated on GPA and stuff like that. And then it comes out that Ohio state is like tanking in GPA or, you know, whatever, fans media they should be like hey that's that's a standard that we are holding you to also right like that's something that you're paying attention to paying attention to we're also paying attention to it and that that helps create accountability that's why it's important um so i don't you know like i said it's it's a it's a artifact that i find interesting it's something that i hope that we can kind of continue to you know benefit from and and check out and see and i hope there's more of those documents that come out as well because it just you know it gives us a greater insight into the you know the programs and the teams that we really love um speaking of things that give us insight this is something that i thought was really uh funny and it it's funny because there were pictures of this that came out and I'm talking about Johnny Manziel revealing that he made over 30, 30 large, 30 grand selling autographs before, before the 2013 season, people had pictures of him literally signing hundreds, thousands of autographs. Right. And, and, you know, for mass production and selling and whatnot, like that, that was something that was not an open secret. It was something that was visibly apparent. Like you had picture of him doing that. Um, and so he finally, he went on a podcast with Barstool and, and said that he made over 30 grand to sign autographs. Um, it's funny to me because at the time, I think that's around when I started to, you know, think about this stuff in a different way. And if you had told, I don't know, if you had told early twenties, Johnny, right? Like in the early two thousands that there was a player you know on a team that Ohio State might have to face or was getting a lot of pub or was going to be a Heisman candidate had made all this money I would have been outraged like this is terrible but in 2013 after all that stuff with like tagging and blah 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 I was like cool (laughs) go for it Johnny like I don't care like this is fine go for it cool make your money and granted he doesn't have to make money his family's loaded but like 
I didn't have the reaction to that revelation uh, in 2013 when I saw that, that I think I would have had maybe 10 years prior to that. And I certainly don't feel any type of way about it now. I'm not like angry. I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, thanks for finally confirming what everybody already knew. So I'm not, I'm not upset about it. Does that does it bother you that Johnny Menzel Andy was was raking in the cash? I mean, it did it. I mean, it did at the time. It really, you know, it, really. I, I mean, I'm thinking back. Like, oh, I, I hated Johnny Menzel. I, I'll be why? Fine. Okay, like, so why did you hate Johnny Menzel? Because let's it, get into that. Because it, it, I think that's actually a big part of why people get upset by the fact that he was making all that money. If it were somebody who was like a aw shucks guy, you know. Oh yeah, I, I mean, think people you're, would be you're less exactly right. I thought he was a snotty little bastard and I wanted to, like he was one exactly, of the more, exactly. he, he was one of the most punchable guys in the sport. Uh, I, I don't want to say ever, cause there's been a lot of punchable guys in the sport <laughs> who have done a lot. Well, uh, and, and, and guys, you know, especially if you look at some of the NFL guys who, you know, beat their wives and, you know, are shitty dads oh, yeah. and so Horrible on. Like, human beings. like yeah. yeah, there are some really terrible people in the sport and it's wrong that we celebrate as many of them as we do, yeah. but among college players who haven't yet had time to become, you know, serious felons or just, you know, mm. general worthless dregs on society. Uh, Manzel, like super privileged, you know, super privileged little brat, you know, sp born with a silver spoon in his mouth kind of kid. Like just all of the stereotypes that you could ever think of, of the like spoiled, rich Texas quarterback. I mean, he just mm. embraced them all. Right. Like, just, I, I'm like, I he think did. that was, he did. I think that was my thing is like, I generally speaking, like stereotypes are bad. And at the same time, I get really pissed off when people live the stereotype, you know, <laughs> I, I just, I, I grew up, you know, I grew up in a, a small country town. I love my hometown mm. and we had any share of, of my friends. And I'm, I mean, I mean that seriously, I'm not being facetious, but my friends who just like lived and embraced the redneck shop kid stereotype. Right. Sure, yeah. And, and I'm just like, you know, if you don't want people to think about us, people from where we come from in a certain way, maybe don't act like that. You know? so, and then when I look at Johnny Menzel, like he just embraced every stereotype that you could have <laughs> for the did. snotty little bastard, rich kid quarterback that you just wanted to deck. And if, and if he was on your team, you'd have loved him, exactly. but he wasn't. So I hated him. <laughs> and that's fine. And, and I agree with that. If Johnny Menzel had been on any team, but Ohio state, I think the, the, or, or your team, right? Whatever yeah, team you yeah. root for the natural impulse to be like, I want to punch that dude in the face. Yeah. However, absolutely. I will also say transcendent football talent, right? Like he, the stuff he was able to do in college was unbelievable. And, and granted, you know, he kind of, he definitely declined a little bit. I don't want to say he fell off a cliff because I don't think he fell off a cliff in college, but he, he didn't really maintain that extremely high level that he had at the very beginning, but he was incredible to watch. What I found really interesting about Johnny Menzel is that, and this is maybe why I think I, I didn't feel, first of all, there was tag gate. And I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, I got so mad about that. I was like, screw it. Let players do whatever they want. But um, I think part of it was, is that I knew Johnny Menzel comes from this family. That's like super uber rich, right? Like they're unbelievably wealthy. And yet he was still like, I'm going to sit down and sign like a thousand items of memorabilia to make $30,000. His dad's probably walking around with 30 grand in his wallet. Yeah, like there's, yeah. there's no reason why Johnny Manziel actually has to do that. But what's hilarious is that he said, no, I'm going to sit down in this hotel and I'm just going to sign a thousand pieces of memorabilia and make 30 grand. And I just, I don't know. I guess my line of thinking is, is that if somebody who is that wealthy and can get whatever he wants, regardless, and doesn't have to play college football, do any of this stuff still wants that 30 grand. Imagine how much somebody who really needs that would want it. How much a kid who maybe comes from poverty, maybe their parents are living paycheck to paycheck. The only reason why they're in college or could afford college is through an act, you know, an athletic scholarship, that means so much more to them. Johnny Manziel will do it just for the hell of it. And I was thinking like, there are so many other players who could benefit in an actual tangible way from something like that versus a guy like Johnny Manziel is just doing it because it's hilarious on a weekend. Um, so yes, Johnny and, and Manziel, super punchable, but I think it teaches less about how much athletes really want to do this. Yeah. The other reason that this really frosted me was because, 
you know, at the time, like we all knew this was happening, you know, we all, we all knew. Oh, sure. Yeah. There was no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, you know, this, this was an open secret. Right. Yeah. And, and I remember the other reason that it really peeved me off so much is what, what year, what year that was 2013. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like that was still really close time-wise after the Tatgate nonsense. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, and I remember like thinking we toppled an entire regime here. <laughs> we we had one of the genuinely i mean seriously one of the best people in this sport fall on his sword because some kids traded trinkets for tattoos right and this little bastard <laughs> is sitting in a hotel but that was probably poked out of a that's the thing though they were too nice they were too nice johnny manziel is the turd that had to walk so that everybody else could fly i i'm telling you man this is why i appreciate johnny manziel he got away with it by being a smarmy little douchebag who did not care right flip the double bird system and that's right and he what are you going to do about it exactly exactly he exposed the system for being as stupid and as ineffectual as it is and as ridiculous as it is and he was making the money sign with his hands and laughing about it and, you know, going and partying and clubbing and dropping crap tons of money on all kinds of stuff. And the NCAA couldn't do anything about it. Th- that's what I'm saying. Jim Trestle, for as good a person he is and all, you know, Devere Posey and all them, like those are good human beings who got caught up in something stupid, but they played by the rules and they got burned. And that's the problem. Johnny Manziel, huge douchebag didn't play by the rules, didn't get burned, made $30,000, right? Where, you know, Ohio State players are, what, selling their crap for $500 and getting tattoos out of it? Like, that's <laughs> it's that's the point, is that it, the disparity between people who didn't play by the rules and got away with it and were successful versus the people who decided to kind of go along with the NCAA stuff and got burned showed how dumb the system was. And I do think that that, that kind of situation led to changes faster than people looking at tag gate because uh, honestly that tag gate is a relic of a time period where that mattered and that was the last major scandal in terms of that where people would like legitimately get you know froth at the mouth at a player getting a 500 dollars handshake mm-hmm. that was the last time and i think people after that started to realize that okay this is dumb and then johnny manzel you know just taking it to an extreme I think push the conversation forward. So again, I don't love Johnny Manziel. I'm not thanking Johnny Manziel because he's still a douche, but I do think his, his spot and the evolution of this does need to be appreciated because it really did change how I think we, we think of this stuff. So I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a good point. And, you know, if you think about some of the other scandals that have come in that interceding time period, I mean, North Carolina is just, you know, making crap up academically all the stuff and that, that to me is a little bit different. That's the kind of stuff that is that should be hammered down pretty hard. I mean, yeah, that really does. Yeah, and 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 what happened? I mean, and, and what happened from that? Literally nothing, right? Yeah, yeah they, I mean, literally nothing. Right. And I mean, Miami, you know, M- Miami, same same deal. Like, there's some crazy stuff happened in Miami, mm-hmm. and they're just like, y'all don't have subpoena power. Piss off. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> and that was the response. That's how people <laughs> realize that they should respond to the NCAA. It's like, what are you gonna do about it? Um, <laughs> Jim Trestle, by the way, Jim Trestle's, uh, he occasionally will make a foray right back into the, uh, the limelight. I don't want to say limelight. It's not like he's going out there and like, Hey, everybody forgot about Jim. I'm back. <laughs> but he was at a charity event in Youngstown. And he was talking a little about Ohio state and Wolverines. He said, I hope I live long enough for the day that we're over 500. Then I can sleep happy. Uh, which he says, I hope I live long enough for that, which sounds a little morbid, right? Like you can go to sleep happy. Like where you, you want to die after they get 400. No, I want you need to, you're the kind of person, Jim, that needs to live till you're 115. I'm sorry. That's, yes, that's your long life. You don't get to die in your mid seventies, which if uh, Ohio state continues at their pace, they should be able to match that before this decade is out and get over 500 uh, in 2028. So that's that's definitely within the realm of possibility. Jim Trestle would hopefully be alive and kicking and, and still around by then. Um, you know, it's really in large thanks to him that it's even possible that we can talk about that. And I'm sick of arguing with people, and by people I mean Michigan fans, online <laughs> about whether or not wins that were you know granted before the invention of the forward pass and powered flight 
should count in terms of the reckoning of this rivalry. They, they obviously say that it does. I say that the football was still shaped like a basketball and that shouldn't really count, but um, <laughs> I don't even want to get into it. But the point is, is that, you know, it's about place in history. Jim Trestle really solidified it. And I'm glad yes. that he's still kicking and reminding everybody that he, he went nine man. and one against the, the Michigan man. Wolverines and probably would have continued to go like 10 or 15 and one or 20 and one. I, had he continued I, to be the head coach. I've said more than once, you know, I have pledged my undying fealty to the distinguished gentleman from Youngstown. He just, uh, I, uh, you know, people will talk about this, like, who's your favorite Ohio state coach? You know, it's like, who's your favorite kid sort of thing. Right. Mm. You can, you can look and say, well, you know, uh, what, what he has is the standard, you know, nobody will ever sure. top what, I mean, I mean, realistically, no one will ever top what, what he did. Right. It's very, very difficult to imagine. Well, it's different. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard a different era. because yeah. of the way yeah. the sport's done right now. Yep. I mean, he, Woody was able to win national championships in part because he dominated the Big Ten and then he won one game and then he's good. I mean, it's yep. it's way harder now to to try to get to that mountaintop on a consistent basis. Unless it, it is. Nick Saban. Nick Saban. I mean, and, and let's be like, frank. Literally like the, the only, best coach who ever lived. And he's, and he's the only guy, you know, he's the only guy to do that, right? To, to yeah. have this in kind modern, of yeah. consistent success and we're not talking over a 30 year period, like th that he's been able to do it in 10, 15 years to win that many titles. I mean, how many, right. how many years did it take bear Bryant to win as many titles as he did? And so on anyway, yeah, you know, so when people ask that question, like, who's your favorite Ohio state coach, the, the person that always comes to mind for me personally is Jim Trestle. Mm -hmm. Part of that is because that was, you know, he came to Ohio state at the same time I did basically, Oh yeah. you know, when I, we, we, we uh, he was, I mean, I remember coming to campus, and you know who were we going to have was it going to be glenn mason was it going to be you know who, who was it going to be and <laughs> rough and i remember you know when they hired i'd never heard of jim trussell before you know i didn't follow follow youngstown state football um so i'm like they hired who you know like you're expecting like a big name and then like he just won me over so fast and i i loved he had so many great teams um i i know he does the coach speak thing but i believe him when he says it you know, he just, it's th that sincerity. Uh, I don't know. I just love everything about him. And he, uh, he will always be my favorite Ohio state coach. And and I'm sure everybody has like a similar story, you oh, know, sure. why, why they love Earl Bruce. You know, if you, if that was your more of your formative period or, you know, people that are younger than you and me, you know, okay, it's going to be uh, Urban Meyer or Ryan day, Ryan, Ryan day could find himself in that space. You know, I think he's a super likable guy. Yes, I was yeah. very skeptical. You got to win a championship though. That, that's he does. The, yeah. That's I mean, really that's the, right. The, like the that marker, is, that right? is the, yeah, absolutely. Cause nobody's saying that John Cooper was their favorite coach, even though there's right. a lot of good things to say about John Cooper. Right. Like there are a lot of good things to say about that guy, but, yeah. but he's not coming up as anybody's favorite coach because right. a couple can't things be you didn't do. can't win the big one. You got to so. do those two things. Uh, let me add, real quick. I, before we get to ask us anything, I'm looking at Michigan, man. I, I'm not quite ready to say this, but I think I'm getting really close, which is, I think it's over. I think they're done. And, and what I mean by that is I think college football programs can fall out of relevance and attain kind of this equilibrium where they'll have brief forays into respectability and then they'll fall back down, but they kind of reach this, the stable platform where they're really just not going to get out of it. And I'm starting to think that Michigan and not just because of Jim Harbaugh, I just, just think institutionally they're just have this huge malaise, but I think they're, they're pretty much a B tier B minus tier <laughs> football program and I, I think that's just where they're at i that's it they're done and and i don't know that i'm completely convinced of that but one of the things i was thinking about look at these recruiting rank, rankings right and i kind of go through those periodically you know michigan had uh the 22nd ranked recruiting class in 2018 um in 2019 you know they did a little bit better they were the the eighth ranked but you know two five stars and then pretty much everybody is you know four stars three star 2020 um, you know, <laughs> they're down to 14 again, no five stars. Um, it, it just, it feels like to me, and granted, those aren't like terrible rankings. They're not awful, but their contemporaries, right. Are North Carolina, Penn state, Washington, Oregon, Tennessee, even like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what the future of Michigan looks like but I don't think it's going to be significantly better and probably not that much worse, but I just, I don't see them as 
anything better than a Wisconsin at this point, right? Like a Wisconsin or Penn state even seems to be a little bit above them right now. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to put them in the trash or anything like that, but I'm starting to think that this is, ba- they're basically done. They're basically done as a, a level blue blood top of the line program and probably have been for at least a couple seasons. And how many, you know, how many players, has Michigan have transferred has Michigan had transfer yeah they, it feels like they've lost a truckload I I don't want to say talent because it wasn't like they had a million five-star guys on the bench to begin with but you know it just feels like they've lost a lot of players and you know the thing you're talking about you know, it, it's over they're done relevance is such an important currency in right. recruiting and like when was the last time Michigan was relevant like you get these weird flashes in the, you know, we talk about the the September Heisman, you know, some of those kind of things. You get these weird flashes where writers, it feels like it feels like want to, you know, want to rush to say Michigan's back, and they're not, and they aren't going to be, and, th- and they haven't been. Uh, but so because of that, like the currency of relevance, they they just don't have any to spend. And you can get you can get a really great coach and that can obviously lift your profile and make your program and team better. But I, I guess what I'm saying is when you're talking about in terms of the, the teams that drive the national football conversation, obviously Michigan isn't there. I mean, I'm not even saying, I'm not even going to pretend that they've been there. No, I'm saying that they're not going to have the kind of sustained success necessary to get there anytime soon and by anytime soon i mean within the next decade it because they're keeping harbaugh around which he's just going to drag them down and i don't it's not that i think he's a terrible coach i just don't think he's a good coach and because of that they're not going to ever get back to the point where you have you know a huge you're not going to let me put it this way you're not going to have a michigan game at noon that's the most watched college football game of the entire weekend that that's basically it that's not, not going to happen because they don't have that kind of cachet. They're not going to get that kind of cachet. I think of a program like Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Brian Kelly's a decent coach. I think he's a terrible human being, but he's a decent coach. Notre Dame had the opportunity to kind of recapture some of that. If they had any kind of success in the playoffs, which of course they haven't, they've been terrible. Um, but what I'm saying is Notre Dame still can leverage that they still yeah. have a mythology they still have a fan base they still have some kind of excitement that they could have leveraged had they won some of those high profile high profile games michigan doesn't have that anymore none of their legacy none of their mythology all that crap none of that matters to anybody anymore right notre dame still has a little bit of that magic michigan doesn't the the name michigan when people see that doesn't elicit any kind of like extreme nostalgia or anything like that for anybody younger than me or you if you're younger than your mid-30s you don't even care about michigan you don't they haven't given you a reason to um and and so i'm just i'm thinking about that and that's something that i really want to pay attention to going into this next football season because i don't know what they're capable of bringing to the table um especially with you know their team just looking like they're in total disarray in general um but I, like I said, I, I think it is time to start questioning, like, are they going to ever be any better than a Wisconsin? And that's like the ceiling for them right now, in my opinion. Yeah, and I feel um, like you and I talked about this, you know, previously, like what, 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 what exactly were the powers that be at Michigan expecting to happen that they thought it was worth going through this another year? I, because I don't, because I don't get it. Cause I feel like <laughs> at this point there, I mean, except for four years, like I, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like the only way that you turn this thing around because it's not happening on the recruiting trail, right? Like that we're not, we're not talking about Michigan as being seriously in contention for, you know, the top, whatever, uh, position you want to talk about. Like they're not, they're not in contention and then, you know, okay. So if you're not doing it on the recruiting trail, that, that tells me that you're not going to do it on the field. So, you know, you're not going to beat Ohio state. You're not going to beat Penn state. You're not going to, you know, I, so then, you know, the only way you start to get back and dig out of that hole that you just described mm-hmm. is, is with a reboot, you know, you've got to go right. out and find somebody else. And they just because, don't seem willing to do that at all. Yeah. Because like, that's, that's where you're talking about, you know, being able to get that 
relevance back. It's with right. a personality that comes in and maybe can reinvigorate the brand. The brand still has value if they can get some relevance to either bringing in recruits that will excite people or mm -hmm. winning on the field. And, and so far they haven't been able to do either with yeah. any degree of consistency that puts them in contention. And you keep comparing them to Wisconsin. Like, is that being the thing? I, I almost think that's unfair to Wisconsin. Yeah. A little bit. I, I mean, <laughs> <It> just, <is. laughs> I mean, Wisconsin's Wisconsin, done more than Michigan. They've done way more than Michigan in the past decade. They've they've uh, they've sure as hell been to the Big Ten championship game more than Michigan has. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. so it's yeah. So I don't know. It's just something to think about. I, I just find that interesting. And you know, of course, Jim Trestle kind of started that a little bit. And yes, you take away that mythology when your chief rival beats you over and over and over and over again, and it, it speaks to a weakness within you know, what you're trying to do and your, your philosophy, I guess, when it comes to how they're constructing their program. Um, so let's do a little ask us anything, but before that, we want to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com, drygoods.11warriors.com, shirts, hats, stickers, check it out. It's great. Uh, ask us anything is also great. You can ask us anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. Tom, let's start with our good friend Alvin, who wants to know simply what is the greatest OSU sports individual performance in history? Um, what do you think, Andy? I, I mean, Jesse Owens, you know, yeah, setting like, four records in 45 yeah. minutes, four world records in 45 minutes, one which stood for like 25 years, some insane, I don't know, some crazy <laughs> length of time, the long jump. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm just, I will always default to that. I think. And, and not just that, like the Jesse Owens story, you know, to me is just incredible. Uh, and, and, yeah. you know, we, we talk about, we talk about going to Berlin and, you know, giving, giving Hitler the double birds on the, on the track. Like, it's just, you know, it's <laughs> the, the guy, I mean, the guy was, guy was incredible. He, he should have done that. He actually literally should have done it. He should have done a Marcus Hall style <laughs> yeah. and like walked off, just flipping <laughs> off the grandstand. Peace like, out, homie. I, I mean, I just, uh, you know, now what, what are we 80 years later, 90 years yeah. later, however long it is. Uh, I still am in awe of that. The other one, you know, cause I always find this, I always think about these things when we're talking about, um, you know, the Mount Rushmore, if you will, of, mm. of Ohio state athletes. And I think a lot of people just default to football players or maybe basketball players. Cause that's, sure. you know, um, I don't, I don't think Logan Steber gets enough credit for being, uh, a four-time NCAA champion as a wrestler. Uh, yeah, more men have walked on the moon than have won four NCAA wrestling titles. I always yeah. like to always like to remind people of that. So that you know that to me, um, I'm not I'm not going to put Logie Bear over over Jesse Owens there, but my man won four NCAA titles and a world championship. Uh, and it's really cool, by the way, to see him. Uh, on the on the sidelines now as an official assistant coach on the team but th yeah. those are those are two of my personal favorites you know Ar archie griffin's two heisman trophies you know is that ever going to be topped i you know we've been close here a couple times it felt like or oh gosh is you know and and so that you know that's pretty cool um and you could go through but the thing that's fun about playing this game is when you look at then like individual performances let's say in football for example mm -hmm. you know you would have you you would be talking about single game records or single season records or something along those lines. And then you think, gosh, man, that'll never be topped. And then you have like Trey Sermon coming along and <laughs> right. Breaking the hell out of the single, <laughs> which nobody would have expected four games prior to that. No, like, no. Like, yeah. Trey Sermon's going to uh, rush for our uh, 331 yards against Northwestern. Big you'd be like, okay, shut the hell up. Like, right. Stop talking yeah. crazy things. I want me. some of that peyote. Yeah. <laughs> and we all uh, watch I agree with, with you. Eyes. Yeah, I agree with you. Jesse Owens, um, that performance is never going to yeah. be replicated. That's yeah, it's incredible. Just uh, incredible. Next question here is from Matt from Charlotte, who says that last episode, Andy mentioned receiving degrees from other schools. And I think I remember Johnny mentioning that he did a grad school program at OSU. This fall, I'm hoping to start a master's program and it won't be OSU. Any advice for what to expect? Anything you wish to know before starting more school? Uh, just for context, I graduated from Ohio State in 2004. So it's been a while. Um, and the school he's planning in 10 doesn't have any sports teams, so he won't have to worry about mixed loyalties on Saturdays. That's smart. Uh, <laughs> I, I do have um, a master's from Ohio State. I got my bachelor's and master's there. And I actually started it. Andy, you might have more perspective on this than I do. I actually started my grad school program literally a week after mm -hmm. I graduated my undergrad. 
Um, so I got my diploma. I went home, chilled for a few days, and then moved into a different dorm than I had been staying in. <laughs> uh, and actually, I made a huge mistake. I got in like the worst possible room. Like the AC, like had this like high pitched whine that I oh. could not get rid. It was awful. Anyway, but as far as advice goes, I think part of it just depends on your program. Like I was getting a master's in education. So like, we're not talking engineering or medical school or anything like that. It was, is much more pedagogical and you're talking about like, you know, student teaching and all that kind of stuff. I, I think finding a good group of people, a good support system is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really tight with the other people in my cohort and we really helped each other out. And when you're doing research, cause I did have to do a research thing and write a thesis and all that crap. Um, it was just good to be able to lean on people that were also kind of going through it. So I would say be tight with the people in your program, find a good support system, particularly if it's in a different place where you're at right now. And maybe you're not super familiar with, and uh, you know, just, just try to get tight with them, go out to dinner, you know, take them out someplace, do some fun stuff together. I think that's really important. I think keeping your sanity is a big, big factor in grad school. Yeah. They, I mean, they talk about work-life balance a lot more now in, in general, but I think that holds, you know, especially, uh, so you're, you're out in the, the real world, you know, if you've got, you got a job, you got family, you know, all that sort of thing. My, um, my educational career in general is very different from most in that, you know, I started at Ohio state as an undergrad, right out of high school, just like you're supposed to, uh, I, I went pro <laughs> as I like to call it. I went pro in, in broadcasting, uh, midway between kind of between my sophomore and junior years. And when I started drawing a full-time paycheck, uh, decided I didn't need to go to classes full-time <laughs> anymore. Uh, but I'd promised my folks I would go back and finish my degree at some point. So I was, oh, this would have been like spring of 2010. I went back to finish my undergrad degree. So I'm, I'm you know, I don't know, 28, 29 years old at that time, something along. I called myself the 30-year-old undergrad. <laughs> uh, and, and I was a much better student, an undergrad student at you know, 2930 than I was yeah. at, at, uh, 1819. Yeah. And you know, that you, some of it I joke is cause it was, you know, I was paying with it out of my own pocket then, as opposed to, you know, financial aid or scholarships right. or, you know, dad helping or whatever it was. Um, but some of it too, is just perspective, you know, in, in life, like you've, you've grown up and matured and know how to manage responsibility and workload and deadlines. The coursework wasn't that hard anymore. Um, mm-hmm. cause I wasn't taking, you know, a bunch of like GECs that I wasn't comfortable with. I was in a major area where I'd been working professionally for almost a decade. So, you know, that, that was a different experience. I did start my grad school kind of immediately after that. I went right into a traditional master's program at Ohio state. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I got uh, married and bought a house and started thinking about having a baby. And I said, I, I, and I started a new job too, kind of all really close to one another. And it was like, I, this is too much right now. Yeah, so that's a lot, that's a lot going on in your life. It, it, it was. So I pulled back. Cause I said, I can't do all of this and do it well. And, and I had been a pretty bad undergraduate student. My first two years at Ohio state, which is part of the reason I was glad to go pro as I put it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, you know, if I hadn't gotten out, I'm not sure they would have let me stay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was, I was like, God bless freshman forgiveness and the, and the fresh start rule and some of these kind of things. I went back yeah. and graduated with honors, but, but I, I was Fantastic. a terrible, That's great. yeah, you know, but I was, a, but I was a terrible undergrad the first two years. And so I was worried that I was going to turn into a terrible grad student because of all of the things that were going on in my life. And I, so then I waited, gosh, so from, from 2011 to what I, I went back in probably 20, 2016, I think is when I started my master's program, um, at, at, uh, Purdue in Indiana and, you know, it was a dual degree program, MS, MBA and, I would echo everything Johnny said that number one is, is get to know your cohort and, and find out, you know, who there you can kibitz and, and piss and moan with and compare notes and all that sort of thing. I'll, you'll do a lot of group work, like an, in, you know, an intolerable amount of group work at times. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like grad school is just built around group work, but that's life too. Right. You know, in work, uh, depending on what your career is. Uh, but the work-life balance, you know, that's, that's the thing. So what I did is I did a lot of my work, you know, kind of on the weekends, like Saturdays, Sundays, we had a lot of asynchronous learning because I was doing a mostly online program. Uh, and so I would save up a lot of work and then just have time blocked out on the weekends. Um, so I wasn't taking time every night through the week away from my wife and daughter. Um, but, but that was the thing is I had to make dedicated time, 
you know, I had a dedicated office. So I could go into the office, kind of close the door and just put my head down and focus on. Right. Don't get behind on the work. That's the other thing too. If you're doing asynchronous learning at all, don't get behind. It's hard to catch back up. So if your professors don't give you real deadlines, you know, if they just kind of let you kind of go at your own pace or whatever, don't fall into that trap. Yeah. Um, stay up with work and, you know, just go at it with a good attitude. It can be a lot of fun. Like I had a really wonderful grad school experience, mostly because I had a really wonderful cohort of people that I got to know right. through the program. And I think, like I said, I think that's, that's a big part of it is just, and, you know, and depending on what your area of study is, that's really the benefit of grad school mm-hmm. is, is oh, the, yeah. the, the, the networking, the cohort, yeah. the connections. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I talk about this all the time that in my particular company, nobody gives three figs that I've got three pieces of sheepskin on the wall. Like that undergraduate sheepskin was the, the ticket in the door, right? Like that was sort of the bare minimum, right? If you've, if you've got this degree, then we're willing to consider you for gainful employment, but nobody cares that I have two (laughs) master's degrees. They, they could not care less, not one bit. What's funny though, is, is that I have my master's degree solely. I didn't, I, it's, if, if I could have become a, you know, high school teacher without getting my master's, I would have done it. But while I was in college, the state of Ohio, or actually this is, I think my last year of high school, but the state of Ohio passed a law saying that all new teachers had to have a master's degree. And that's why I got it. And so right. like for a very brief moment in my life, it was incredibly critical that I get a master's yeah. and then they rescinded it about a year after I got it. So after I paid my 30 grand to, uh, mm-hmm. to get my master's. Um, well, yeah, and, was, and, and that's so. the other thing too. Like I, I, I always say to people when they're talking about, and it sounds like you've already, you know, questioner, thank you. It sounds like you've already made the decision. So, so good on you. I, like I, I will always encourage people to go back to school. Like if you're thinking about it, I went back basically because my wife would ask me many times, why are you doing this again? I wanted to. And and there were the first 10 years of my career as an adult, you know, I didn't even have my bachelor's degree. And so I always felt like, and people didn't really, but I felt like people, you know, would judge me or look down at me because I didn't have a degree. Like it was, Mm -hmm. but, but we were, you and I were raised in a generation where it was just assumed you were going to go to college, right? Sure. Like our parents, let it be known. You are going to go to college. It was not optional. There's more discussion about it now that, Hey, you know what? Maybe it's okay to go to a trade school. Maybe it's okay to join the military. Maybe it's okay to, uh, you know, learn a trade or or something other than a four-year degree. Maybe community college is sufficient. What, you know, there are lots of different things that people are willing to consider now, but for our generation, like my parents made it known early and often, I would go to college. You know, I would not be a farmer. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I would go to, you know, it was, it was known. This is what's expected. Uh, so I feel like with grad school, know why you're going. I went back for me. I wanted, I, I don't know if you would say I needed it for my own self-respect or whatnot, but, but because I went through, you know, so long in my career without any degree that I wanted to go to grad school. I, you know, it wouldn't take much for me to think about going back to become Dr. Vance, aside from the fact that I know it would get me divorced. Like well, that would... That's, that's the one thing, you know, and, and again, not in my career field, like but nobody, you know, I know what you're saying though. Right. Though. Cause my mom, all right. So my mom taught nursing for a long time. She taught uh, in a vocational school, you know, kids ought to be LPNs and she's been an RN. I mean, she's 70. She's been an RN since she was 20. So mm-hmm. she's been an RN for a long time, right? Like yeah. 50 years. Yeah. Um, but you know, when she got her teaching job in the eighties, like she just needed to have that RN qualification to teach LPNs at the high school. Mm -hmm. She didn't need to have a college degree. Um, And then Ohio and that same round of changes that required the master's degree said, okay, well, we also need to make sure everybody has a bachelor's. And like, she loved that idea because she wanted to be able to take advantage of that and say, look, now I have my bachelor's degree. I can say that I have a college. And that meant a lot to her. And she was really proud of that as well. She should have been, yes. um, you know, being, I mean, obviously being an RN is a big deal too, but like, um, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, do it for yourself. It, it is something that's really important. And I'm, you know, if you're going for the masters, that's cool. Good on you. That's great. But, but make sure you know why you're doing it because the money is yeah, not insignificant like yeah it's not you know, cheap yeah not i, cheap. I it, it cost me a lot more money to get two master's degrees in two years than it did to get an undergraduate degree in four yeah i can i can see that uh last question here this is from joshua uh, who wants to know this is i love this question so much uh <laughs> what is your summer skincare regimen i have to apply sunscreen every day for work to avoid getting burned yet still turn red on my ears cheeks neck 
all the time. Is there a pattern of applying and reapplying? Either of you have learned to minimize sunburn. I hate being out in the sun. I I don't have. I'm pale as hell, but I kind of have like a more olivey complexion. I guess I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. I'm part Italian. Um, I I get I hate being in the sun, but I do ride my bike a lot, and I do put on sun. I mean, I I. I spray that crap on in 20 layers when I go out and and ride the bike, (laughs) even though I'm wearing a bike shirt, you know, and bike pants and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just reapply every 45 minutes or so to ear, neck, ear, neck, arms. I even, I put it on my legs and stuff because those will get the hell burned out of them too. If they're exposed Mm -hmm. to the sun, I'm real cautious about that stuff. Um, And it's interesting because so I, I knew some people, you know, and who are from Australia, New Zealand and, you know, the ozone layer, right. The hole in the ozone layer, which has since, you know, gotten much better. But when these guys were kids, they literally, they couldn't be outside for five minutes without burning. Like that's how bad it was. The ozone layer was so deteriorated over that part of the planet that they were like, Oh yeah, man, we, we got giant big floppy hats. We're like slathering on the highest SPF you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And so they freaked me out. <laughs> and so now I'm just like, okay, I'm the no way in hell, Johnny getting burned. That ain't happening. So I just, I slather that sucker on. But as far as like an actual, you know, Bernie Mac camphor oil thing from Ocean's Eleven, you know, where he wears the gloves, to be, I don't do any of that stuff. I probably should though. My, my, my skin cracks like hell. I, I bleed all the time. It's crazy. Yeah, I am pretty laissez-faire about the whole thing. Um, I'm do you burn? Are you one of those people who can just sit out in the sun and you never, you never burn? No, I'm not, not quite. But I would say, like, if I'm just going out, like, if I go out tomorrow to mow the yard, I won't even think about sun care. Like, I don't. It will not be a problem. Um, I was yeah. out. I mean, I was out at uh, the Lucas County Fairgrounds all day Saturday and Sunday. I didn't put anything on, um, and I was fine. I mean, I have the farmer's tan, but. Mm no no burn i you know my i burn i'm okay i burn not super easily but i i one time i got an epic sunburn where i could not get like i couldn't move it was terrible it was so bad it was it i probably should go in the hospital for it It was awful i could not get out of bed for like two days yeah it's Um, been a while since i've had like an i'm hurt burn like it, it it's it's been a while i i'd have to think about it so generally what happens is I rely on the stunning Mrs. Vance. I mean, you know, I, I guess there's a lot of jokes to be made about, you know, men letting our wives mother us and and that sort of thing. But she sometimes you need people to remind you not to be stupid. Well, generally because, because she (laughs) needs a big part of being in a relationship. Yeah. I mean, she'll burn like, you know, she's, she's very fair skinned, so she will burn. And then of course she's a wonderful mother. So she makes sure that the little tyke has appropriate uh skin protection and so then generally like if we're going to something let, let's say if we were in like cedar point or king's mm-hmm. island or something um you know i would i would make sure that she uh it would ask her if she put something on my ears or the back of my neck or the bigger yeah. problem i find now is uh, you know i'll make sure in this you know because i don't have well have a lot of hair on the top of my head anymore uh oh yeah i have her run something over the thing because that's what i always worry about spurring on the top of my head yeah that makes sense that that hurts like a uh shout out by the way to my my uh my my beloved late grandmother pauline um who would sit outside in a lawn chair no sunscreen no nothing for like eight hours a day oh wow <laughs> just stare oh wow and she would bake and i never saw her once have a sunburn i don't i mean she grew up like i said she grew up as a sharecropper right so she was yeah. out in the fields in her entire youth maybe she just developed a base that never left like a base tan that right. was permanent at a certain point but i was always amazed as like grandma how do you do that and she's like i don't know i just like being out in the sun i'm like all right um could not could not be me you would not find me doing that i hate that crap um (laughs) but thanks again for all the amazing questions i i love the more obscure weird stuff so that's fantastic keep sending those in um and you know next week we'll be back to to break down more college sports fun and frivolity and answer your questions um but until then i'm johnny i'm andy and we'll see you next time